Welcome to Scary Mysteries. I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and in this episode, we're about to dive deep into the dark side of faith and religion. I want to say thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and showing us support and rating us and sharing us with the people you know. We're a small team of creators that write, edit, and research. So on behalf of the Scary Mysteries team, we want to give a sincere thank you and hope you continue to enjoy our content. Now, on to today's episode. From an outside observer's perspective, when we read about or watch documentaries on cults, you may wonder how exactly in the world anybody could fall for what a cult's selling. However, let's not forget that some of the world's most famous cults have managed to reel in well-educated and intelligent people time and time again. Slowly, a cult digs its claws into vulnerable individuals, and once trapped, it's nearly impossible to get out. And it's even harder for those who were born into or raised in one as a kid. Escaping can be a living hell, but there's always hope and a way out if you're strong enough. Here are five people who escaped fanatical cults. Number five, Faith Jones. For the Christians, it's a long-held belief that God is love. However, some individuals have taken that too far and equate love with sex. And as such, they think there should be no limits regardless of relationship and even age. One of these nefarious individuals who thought that sex was a form of godly service was David Berg. In the late 1960s, Berg established the Children of God, whose doctrines revolved around this depraved notion. Later on, the group would then call themselves the family. By the 1970s, it rose to 10,000 full-time members in 130 communities all around the world. Some of their notable followers were Hollywood stars like Rose McGowan and Joaquin Phoenix. Both of them, though, were able to flee from the flock. But this story isn't about them. It's about Faith Jones, Berg's own granddaughter. Ever since she was a child, Jones was made to believe that sexualization of children was normal, even at the young age of 12. Meanwhile, extramarital sex was sanctioned by their leaders. Like a chore, each female would be assigned to a particular male partner for a specific amount of time. Those who wouldn't follow would suffer dire consequences. She could starkly remember how her granddad whom they called names like King David, Moses, or Father David, would humiliate in front of the entire congregation anyone who dared to refuse having sex with the members. The situation grew worse as the years went on. As a rule, women were not allowed to find work. The only way they could support their financial needs would be to sell themselves to outsiders, a thing that was highly encouraged by their higher-ups. Jones became depressed, realizing the life she had to live while being in the group, and so she eventually decided to leave the commune in 1999 when she was just 22, and it wasn't easy to say the least. She had to apply for a scholarship to an American university before she could leave the family, which at that time was stationed in Macau, China. After getting a degree, and despite her folks pleading, She remained in the States and went on to become an attorney. In a book she later wrote and published titled Sex Cult Nun, 
Jones said that sexual abuse and rape are not only prevalent in cults like the Children of God, but they are also evident in society at large. However, freedom from such horrors begins with the realization that no one is supposed to own us, not even those who claim to be our family. Number 4. Rachel Jeffs Aside from being the primary provider and protector, a father is supposed to be the foundation that his family can rely on. For Rachel Jeffs, her father means everything to her, but that soon changed when the man whom she and everyone else considered to be the pillar of their faith showed his true colors. Rachel's dad was none other than Warren Jeffs, the self-appointed prophet of the Fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the FLDS Church, an offshoot of the mainstream Mormon Church. Years after it was founded in 1929 by Lauren C. Woolley, the Hilldale, Utah-based cult managed to amass more than 10,000 followers from inside and outside of the country. And the numbers are believed to have continued to grow, even after the fact that Jeffs was convicted and imprisoned in 2011 on various child sexual assault charges. Reports claim that the minister had 78 so-called wives, many of whom were young girls. The testimonies revealed that the youngest he ever had was a 12-year-old girl. As shocking as that may seem, it's even worth noting that Rachel was among those individuals who suffered the man's depravity. In an interview, the preacher's daughter said that she was sexually abused by her own father when she was just eight, and happened so many times that she eventually lost count. She kept silent out of fear and respect until she no longer could. When Rachel was 10, she told her mother about the abuse. Her mom, who was among the cult leader's many wives, did confront Jeff's, but everything just fell on deaf ears, and the abuse continued. There are also those times when Rachel was made to look at reading materials filled with pornographic images, and she didn't know if other girls her age went through the same ordeal, but most probably they had. Such was the power that Warren Jeff held in everyone's life that he forcibly made Rachel marry another 25-year-old member when she turned 18. And after that, she once again found herself in another kind of dilemma. Being the new wife, most of her then-husband's other wives were ganging up on her and physically and emotionally abusing her. Rachel stood strong, though, and dealt with it for 12 years. Until 2015 when she was 30 years old and finally decided to leave FLDS with her five children. As expected, it didn't end up well for her at first. All of her five children were taken away from her while she was made to live in isolation. Luckily, the excommunicado found refuge in the home of a family who were FLDS outcasts themselves. A few years later, Rachel published a memoir that detailed the horrors that she went through while living as a fundamentalist church member. She's also running a blog that regularly reminds other people whom she believes suffered the same ordeal to break away from the fear that controls them and to live their life according to their own choice. Number 3. Carly McConkie 
Contrary to popular belief, not all cults revolve around religious and divine beliefs. Some so-called New Age movements put a focus on self-improvement and the development of mental, spiritual, and physical well-being. And it was in this kind of group that Carly McConkie found herself trapped in. McConkie was only 21 when she attended the Mind Body Spirit Festival in Sydney, Australia back in 1996. A fresh graduate, the young woman was looking for ways to get her life on track and realize her full potential. One of the booths that captured her attention was that of Life Integration Programs, or LIP for short. For a well-educated and well-informed woman such as McConkie, this organization looked as professional and legitimate as could be. And so she enrolled herself in the program called the next evolutionary step, and it was supposed to be free, so what could really go wrong in joining? The course really did change her outlook on life. She was so extremely happy and pleased about it, so much so that she couldn't be more willing to enlist on the 17 or so other programs in the series. Ultimately, the Sydney-born woman became obsessed with the movement, that she pretty much basically sacrificed everything just to be in it. Her money, her time, and even her health. It has to be noted that the programs offered by LIP were astoundingly pricey. At one point, she and her husband were able to spend almost $50,000 on the courses. Not only that, she had to spew out a staggering amount of $10,000 to send their cult leader, a woman named Natasha Lakiev, on a ski trip. Meanwhile, she wasn't able to find a job because she had to work unpaid for the organization, which has since been renamed to Universal Knowledge in the latter years. While working, sometimes things would get physical, because at times, when Lakiev didn't like the outcome of their work, she would lash out her anger and frustration, particularly on McConkie, who was then working as her personal assistant and financial manager. As this all happened, Carly's relationship with her own family and parents diminished, and it came to a point that she and her partner had to separate. For 13 long years, the woman stayed devoted to the group's cause. The insurmountable financial problems, unpaid work, many sleepless nights, malnourishment, physical abuse, and strained family relationship eventually motivated her, though, to escape from universal knowledge in 2009. McConkie's parents, and even her ex-husband, couldn't be happier to have her back. She has since written a book detailing her horrid experience. It took some time, but the mother of three finally realized that sometimes the change we want for ourselves begin in us, and not from some expensive self-improvement courses. Number 2. Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson was one of those unfortunate souls who had suffered at the hands of the people who strongly believe that salvation can only be attained through pain and suffering. He was only two years old when his family joined the religious sect called Word of Faith. Founded in 1979 by Jane Whaley, a former teacher, and her husband Sam. This ultra-fundamentalist, evangelical church, has its foothold in western North Carolina. 
It has since grown to a congregation consisting of nearly 800 people in the area to hundreds of others, all the way from countries like Brazil and Ghana. Most of his childhood, Anderson could remember how strict this church was when it came to upholding moral obligations. While this applied to adults, for example, on how they dress, how they act in public, or how they have sex, the church is particularly stringent when it comes to disciplining children. Like most kids his age, young Jamie was a bit rowdy, a thing that particularly drew the ear of his religious family. At the early age of six, he'd already suffered beatings coming not only from his parents, but also from several adult church members. He could also starkly remember when he was about nine when a female worshipper spanked him so hard in so many places of his body, all the while his very own mother was pinning him down. During his school days at the church, he would also receive paddle beatings from their discipline officials. And this could be done simply by making a funny face at a classmate. But the punishments weren't the only thing that made Anderson's life a living hell. Apparently, the Word of Faith congregation encouraged forced, unpaid labor among children. He was in the sixth grade when he was made to work on several construction and real estate projects owned by church elders. Because he was diagnosed with asthma, he couldn't work just as hard as the others, And as such, the whole congregation would chastise him for being lazy and foolhardy. As he grew older, his job responsibilities increased as well. In an interview, Anderson revealed that he had to clean the expansive home of their leader, often until midnight, and he would then have to return early in the morning just to mow their lawn. The beatings and maltreatment progressed as well. He was 14 when he was accused of being a troublemaker, Aside from the usual wooden paddle he got, he was also thrown into the infamous green room. The green room was a storage area named for its green carpeting, and it was used to detain the so-called sinners. Being confined to this room would make anyone go mad. Victims would also be made to stay in isolation for long periods of time and fed with meager food that was slid through a small opening just like in a prison. During his stay, Anderson had come to a point that he wished he was dead. He banged his head on the wall so hard that he started bleeding profusely, but still, no one from the church or even his family came to his aid. This traumatizing event left a huge mark in his life, to say the least. Combined with the collective abuse he suffered for most of his childhood, Anderson decided to flee from his church. He was then instantly cut off from everyone that he knew, His own family even hated him for doing this. Their animosity towards him even reached to a point that his name was omitted from the list of his family members. Anderson, who is now 29 and a practicing attorney, still struggled in rebuilding his life. He's often stricken with nightmares, showing memories of his brutal childhood, and he also finds it hard to trust others, a thing that hindered him from socializing with other people. Despite all this, Anderson remains hopeful and continues to turn his life around each and every day. Number 1. Anna LeBaron As dangerous as serial killers are, religious extremists can be just as violent and even more deadly. 
happily willing to kill in the name of their faith, the followers of the Church of the Lamb of God would gladly do anything in the world to please their leader. Suffice to say, this sect has a bloody beginning, an offshoot of Joseph Smith's Latter-day Saint movement or Mormonism. The Church of the Lamb of God began with two leaders, Joel and Ervil the Baron, who were both siblings. In 1967, tensions arose between the two brothers when Ervil pushed the idea of implementing the infamous Mormon principle of blood atonement. Basically, this doctrine requires that a sinner must shed their blood for redemption, and Joel remained firm that this should not be practiced at their church. So, to take care of his problem, in 1972, Ervil instated himself as the true leader of the group and ordered the murder of his own brother. Joel would now be the first victim of such a despicable policy. Dozens more followed, which even included the man's own pregnant daughter, Rebecca. These victims were essentially deemed sinners by the younger LeBaron. With the obstacles out of the way, Ervil ruled his church in absolute power at their new headquarters in Chihuahua, Mexico. One of his other daughters, Anna LeBaron, found the situation quite unnerving, though. The whole congregation was swept in fear, with him in the high seat. Those who dared to even speak against the new cult leader would certainly face the church's death penalty. In his defense, Ervil would tell his disciples that he was only receiving instructions directly from God to cleanse their flock of unbelievers and doubters. He made the people to believe and remain faithful to his words even after he was arrested in 1974 by the Mexican government for orchestrating the murder of his brother and other individuals. He was extradited and imprisoned in a Utah state prison where he eventually died in 1981. Anna, who had just turned 13, took this chance to escape and go back to her original hometown in Houston, Texas. But even in his death, his reign of terror continued. Long before he died, he drew up a hit list containing at least 50 names, and these were the people who apparently escaped from the cult's clutches. A man named Mark Chenoweth was one of them. Once a fanatic, Chenoweth could no longer stomach the senseless killings, and so he left along with his wife. By the time he heard of Anna's attempt to flee, he reached out and offered her a hand. The church wasn't pleased, and in 1988, he was shot numerous times at his office in Houston by LeBaron's henchmen. His brother Duane and his eight-year-old daughter were also mercilessly killed. And 200 miles away in Irving, Texas, Eddie Marston and his half-brother was also gunned down around the same time the three died. The string of murders was later dubbed as the Four O'Clock Murders because they happened at exactly 4 p.m. on the same day. Interestingly, the hits were carried out on the 144th anniversary of Joseph Smith's death. Even after she regained her freedom, Anna remained fearful for her life for many years. Now 48, the mother of five wrote a book in which she revealed the atrocities that happened inside the Church of the Lamb of God, including forced marriages, polygamy, and of course, the murders. It was also her way of 
reasserting her own identity as a LeBaron, which, as we now know, was tainted by her father's bloody legacy. So that's it, guys, for our podcast today. Please don't forget to rate and share this content with your friends. And if you're looking for more intriguing and fascinating stories, please head over to our Everytown podcast to hear some of the craziest true crime cases that have ever happened in the country. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you in the next episode.